You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your host, Evan. A stubborn guy, but brilliant, highly intelligent, eccentric, quite true. But the image of his being some kind of a dumbbell is, is absolutely wrong. guys, this is Evan with The Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than finding a coincidence with two artists that were unsolved, that you had no idea was even an unsolved mystery. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, we want to thank Podbean and Stitcher for having us. Also, the Tangent Bound Network for adding us to their awesome list of shows. If you want to email us, it's lucky10,000 at Gmail. Our Twitter is lucky underscore 10K. Our Facebook group page, lucky10,000. Um, we did, I don't know when this episode is going to go up. But we did get the announcement with the podcast awards for the slate of awarded of potential uh, of nominated shows. Excuse me. And unfortunately, the lucky 10,000 did not make it. Ah, but the bearded ones did. So you can still root for us that way. And you don't have to vote anymore. So you don't have to hear us bug you about voting anymore. It's in the hands of people who know better. So today I'm very excited because the reason that the season is becoming possibly, no offense to Carissa or Emily, my favorite season is that I get to test out podcast chemistry with new people every week. Some people I've never done podcasts before with. Some people that have brought stuff to the show that I would have never heard of otherwise. We've got a great sort of swath of very well-known things and then these lesser-known things. And today's episode is going to be somewhere in the middle because the people are well-known the circumstances, however, I had no idea until a new friend of mine brought my attention to it. And this episode's going to be about uh, the death of Vincent Van Gogh. Maybe we'll work in some Edgar Allan Poe as well, because his death was equally as mysterious that I just found out. And the person that's bringing that to me is Claire Clawson. Hey! How's it going, Claire? It's going great. So let's talk about you a little bit first. You're from Minnesota. Indeed, you know. Yeah. It almost sounded Irish for a second. <laughs> Indeed, you know. Yeah, I'm from Minnesota. <laughs> there are Irish people in Minnesota, but I am I'm... not one of them. <laughs> are you sure? Norwegian. Are you sure? Yeah, yes. very Norwegian. I very like that. Norwegian. That should be the name of your autobiography. Yeah. Very Norwegian. And so you moved to Greenville, what, a, it's been just over a month ago, a month and a half, something like that? I think almost exactly a month. Yeah. Exactly a month. And you're part of the resident company of the Little Theater. Yes, ma'am. You're the lead in Junie B. Jones is Not a Crook, which is the show we're going to be touring to elementary schools. Mm-hmm. You're doing a very nice job in that show, by Thank the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and you said Junie B. Jones was your dream role. Yeah. Uh, so my mom used to read me the Junie B. Jones books every Aww. night before bed. And I've actually played the role of Junie B. once before. Um, I played her in Junie B. Jones the Musical at Playhouse on the Square in Memphis. And um, it was awesome. A total dream come came here, and uh, I'm doing it again. And it's just a joy. It's a pleasure to be as weird as I want to be in front of kids. But it's also a pleasure to just be doing, to be employed doing what we love to do. Oh, yeah. If I have a lesson, I could impart to anyone. And believe me, there are not many things I say in the course of my life that anyone <laughs> should listen to. But... One of them is you're going to spend so much time at work in your life. You're going to spend so much more time with the people you work with than in some cases with your friends and family. Mm-hmm. You might as well love doing it. Yeah. And I've had a blast through this rehearsal process. You guys have, uh, you and Andrew both have sort of like fit into the group very well and very easily and very seamlessly. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how long it takes before we want to kill each other once we get in the van every day. Hey, Andrew and I already want to kill each other. <laughs> oh, good. But that's another story. Just kidding. Love you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that you kind of looked to the side when you said that. That's a tell. That's what they call in the business a tell. Oh, yeah. And lie to me. <laughs> um, so anyway, but you're also very passionate about art. Yes. And we were talking about Unsolved Mysteries mm-hmm. and we were talking about this podcast and you're uh, what I've been able to, to, to gather about you so far in our very brief time of knowing each other is you're a very animated person. You're a very excited person. And so I thought, oh, she might be good on the podcast. I wonder if she knows an Unsolved Mystery. And immediately you went, Van Gogh! Mm-hmm. And I went, oh yeah, man, everyone knows who Van Gogh was. That's not weird or mysterious. He was a strange guy. Yeah. And you went, no how he died and then you told me and i went that's fucking weird so (laughs) 
we have decided to make this episode about Van Gogh. My daughter actually just got back from a uh, summer vacation with some of her family, and she mentioned that while she was at, they went to uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, Museum. Oh. And yeah. uh, she actually got a finger puppet of Edgar Allan Poe, which is a, hanging on the it's a refrigerator magnet on the refrigerator oh, right him. now. He's adorable. <laughs> but uh, his death is very mysterious as well. So I figured why not sort of combine the two? Obviously, let's start with why you're here. Yeah. Vincent Van Gogh. Is it Gogh or is it Go? If you're going to be all French and kooky yeah. like that, it'd be Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Not Van Gogh. <laughs> yeah. Van Gogh. Uh, but I believe Van Gogh is wildly accepted. I think so. At, at some point, <laughs> wildly, you just gotta go, you know. Widely. Wild. <laughs> Could be wildly and widely. Yes. A lot of people are just going nuts about Van Gogh. They're, They're like, just insane Van about it. Go. Um, so he was born March 30th, 1853 in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. His father was a Protestant minister. Uh, they had had, this, this is the first, because I knew a little bit about Van Gogh, but in my research, this is the first mindfuck moment that I found, because this has to mess with you. His parents had attempted to have a baby before him that was stillborn that they also named Vincent. Now, if I'm a kid and my parents come along and go, hey, guess what we named you after? Your dead brother. That would be kind of a mindfuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was sent to boarding school. He despised it, but actually he did very well. He uh, studied language. He was fluent in Dutch, English, and French, but he dropped out. He went to stay with, not stay, but he, in 1869, his uncle got him a job as a trainee at an art dealership. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the industry that his brother also worked in. Yes. Theo. And in 1872, he began to write to his brother who was in, uh, who was in, was he in France? His brother was in France, I yes, think. Yes, his brother lived in Paris. And apparently started, they said he wrote approximately 651 letters mm-hmm. to his brother, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at first, you know, I should have really started with this. How did Van Gogh come into your sphere? Like, what was the oh. first time you remember being influenced or, or seeing something about him? Uh, my mom also loves Van Gogh. Okay. Um, so I come from a, a very artsy fartsy family mm-hmm. in all of the ways. I mean, I can't say for the artsy, <laughs> but <laughs> well, we, my grandma Valborg used to be like, Oh, there's something in the kitchen I have to do, and then we'd hear, <laughs> That's amazing. We'd have to not laugh at her, <laughs> she was like 90. Anywho, uh, my mom loves painting, mm-hmm. and um. I mean, she doesn't actually paint very much, but she loves seeing paintings, and we loved going, uh, I'm from the Twin Cities area in Minnesota, and we loved going to our children's museum, which was also connected to an art museum. Awesome. And in that art museum, they have a single Van Gogh painting. It's one of his, um, olive tree actions. Lots of hypotheses about uh, olive trees being forms of self-portraits because Interesting. the shadows go in the opposite way than they should. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, so we would literally just sit there for hours and stare at this one painting because he would put on paint so thickly mm-hmm. onto his brush that it's like you look at a painting and you can see the actual brush strokes that's really that's that really I'm, I'm glad you said that because i'm not a devotee of the visual arts per se i don't have i've got a lot of focus issues mm-hmm. and uh when i do go to museums mm-hmm. i really enjoy looking at them but the i do hear people who are art lovers talk about how they can sit in front of a painting for hours and i've always wondered how you do that <laughs> nothing's happening <laughs> it's not like spongebob's gonna pop out of the corner yeah um so that's what that's the reason that you got like literally pulled into it is because you it, did you feel like you were connecting to him in a way because you could see yeah. his actual physical handiwork right there in front of you and you could look at it stroke by stroke yeah uh and when i went to new york for the first time uh-huh. i went to the met and they have uh, I think it's two rooms of Van Gogh paintings. Wow, cool. I walked in and I just started sobbing because <laughs> uh, I just adore this man. Do you have a favorite? Uh, I do, actually. And it's one that I'm going to talk about later. It's called, um, 
I've always said the title wrong, which is silly. Wheat field with crows. Oh, I, I have seen that I one. I always say crows in the wheat field. And your little uh, notebook there, it's got Starry Night on it. It does. We'll have to get a picture of you with that. <laughs> hey, Starry Night is a gorgeous, <laughs> it's gorgeous incredible. painting. It's the way that he can capture motion. Mm-hmm. In still life. Mm-hmm. It's just Well, and incredible. continuing on with his bio, you know, he had a bit of a turbulent life. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was. You have this impression of people like Van Gogh and people like, excuse me, Van Gogh, and people like uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Edgar Allan Poe as just being miserable all the time. And they really weren't. Um, I would love to read some of the letters he sent to his brother. Yeah. Uh, I bet they're fascinating. I have uh, one of my favorite quotes in it. Oh, yeah? Prepared. Should I share it now? Or yeah, go I for it. Go for it. A different moment. Okay, so um, this quote's just my favorite thing ever. So uh, it was written in a letter on Tuesday, July 10th of 1888. And um, he's talking about, like, death for painters yeah. is different. Um, it, he, it's not like their ending point because... Their work lives on. Yeah. And he says, um, he's talking about death in the paragraph ahead of time. And he says, for myself, I declare I don't know anything about it. But the sight of the stars always makes me dream in as simple a way as the black spots on the map representing towns and villages makes me dream. That's very cool. Yeah. And he goes on to talk about how, like, he thinks that, like, dying is a way of going to the stars just like taking a train is going to a different town that's very cool um and it's just a very beautiful yeah deeply philosophical yeah well and that i think that's that's a great quote but also you bring up a really good point that obviously it's it it should be obvious but it is the difference between something like what he does and something like what we do Mm -hmm. the weirdest thing to me about theater or performance art in general is that you Blood, sweat, and tears go into it. You put it up there in front of people, and then when it's done, it's like it never happened. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's such a weird thing psychologically, seeing a bare stage after a strike when you've been in a show, especially if it's a show that meant something to you. Yep. But with, yeah, with visual arts, with painting, with sculpting, with all that stuff, it's going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's that rumor that he had this miserable life and no one ever bought any of his art while he was alive, which is technically not true, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, this didn't, he wasn't wildly successful, but he did yeah. start painting and he fell in love with it. I, I also didn't know how religious he was. Yeah. Um, see, that's he was, what this podcast is for. We're all learning was, something. Uh, briefly a priest, I think. Yeah, he was. Yeah. In, uh, let's see, 1872, he started writing to his brother. 1875, transferred to Paris. He became very religious in 1875. Mm-hmm. Uh, he studied theology. He walked four to six miles a day. He moved to uh, Belgium and worked as a preacher there. And they actually he had a nickname because uh, he worked with a lot of miners. Mm-hmm. Uh, not kids, but people that worked in mines, yeah. and he gave so much of his belongings to them, they called him the Christ of the Coal Mine, which I thought was very cool and very interesting. And also shows, again, there's this idea of this tortured, temperamental artist, mm-hmm. which, as most things are, turns out, at least at this point in his life, to be the complete opposite. Now, we'll get into some of his craziness later, and there could yeah. be a very logical reason for that. But now we get into the time frame where he starts to discover art mm-hmm. and starts to do his thing. Take it away, Claire. Okay. Uh, well, for one second, uh, while talking about all, like, the... His life didn't seem so mm-hmm. bad. It didn't, but he also very clearly, if you read his books, I have, not his books, his letters, mm-hmm. I have a compilation called Dear Theo. It's in my hand right now. Oh, those are his letters? Yeah. Oh, his I, letters I, to I, his I, brother, I need to Theo. get that book. Um, and they're really moving and really beautiful, but they also really clearly show you how much he struggled with depression. Yeah. Yeah. He felt things very deeply. Yeah. And, um... He felt very alone mm-hmm. for most of his life because he was kind of an odd dude. Yeah. Um. And, you know, by today's standards, like, if you're kind of odd, people are like, great, whatever. <laughs> um. But back in the day, it was like, that guy's a little... He got the devil in him. Weird. It's probably the devil. Yeah, yeah. And um. so he just became very isolated mm-hmm. and very sad because of that. Um. But moving onward. So, um... For all you people in your 
early 20s that are upset that you don't have your life figured out. <laughs> um, don't be, because Van Gogh didn't even pick up a brush until he was 27. That's the biggest surprise, I think, of the whole thing. Is yeah. How, how really most of his life was not involved in, yeah. in being an artist. He only lived to be 37. Right. So... So it's only that last third quarter. of his, yeah, the last quarter of his life, which, mm-hmm. you know, you think about someone who is known for something. You just have this image in your head of them, you know, like Mozart or somebody who just starts playing or doing their thing at five. And everyone goes, oh, my God, what a genius. Yeah. And this guy was like, I guess I'll give painting a shot at 27 yeah. and became probably the most if not the most, at least the second most famous artist in the history of modern man. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also, you know, if you're going along that 10,000 hours mm-hmm. rule, he put him in. Yeah. Because uh, because he was struggling with different jobs. He worked partially as an art dealer. He was a language arts teacher for a cool. while. Then he went to preaching and then um, he was just struggling with a lot of stuff. So his brother, Theo, supported him financially as he started painting. Mm-hmm. Um, he bought all his art supplies. He paid for his room and board and food. All they were they were real tight because they he were, had yeah. other brothers and sisters. Yeah. And at least in what I the research I've done, he never really corresponded with them very much. It was all about Theo. Yeah. And Theo um, was his younger brother. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Let's say that's correct. As we say, every episode, if we're wrong about anything, don't feel shy to email us and correct us. Lucky10,000 at Gmail. We won't get offended. We want to be correct. Um, Also, just throwing it out there, I'm just a girl who really loves Van Gogh. Uh, not claiming to be an expert here. Just hoping I am. To I am. I actually. Share that I, I, love. I don't. I didn't tell you this, but I'm going to do a preface to this episode. Oh. Without any, I don't do prefaces to the episodes yeah. normally, but I want to make sure I tell everyone that you are that have been calling yourself the definitive Van Gogh expert. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that will help your that's reputation. That's a great I choice. Think. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> But it's not in a. It's not very organized. It's fine. <laughs> well, we're kind of around the point where he yeah. start. He picks up a brush ah, and yes. starts painting. Yes. Okay. So, um, there's not a whole lot of like, a super interesting stuff that happens to him in the beginning mm-hmm. of the decade 1880, um, where he really started to get some success and really started to find the style that we all know and love um that super impressionistic Mm -hmm. bright colored bold paint strokes um that wasn't until he moved to paris with his brother he lived there for two years um moved there in 1886 uh and there he briefly met degas Mm -hmm. uh he met gauguin another painter yes um, and Gauguin was actually a, a really important and also really shitty person <laughs> in his life. We will talk about that soon. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at his early, I mean, and this happens with every artist mm-hmm. uh, until they, f- it's the same thing as like when you talk about stand-up comedy, for example, yeah. like all comedians pretty much say the same thing. I didn't find my voice until such and such. Yeah. And like somebody like Pollock, you mm-hmm. know, you look at his paintings before he discovered the way he really wanted to do things. And then Van Gogh's the exact same Mm -hmm. way. His early paintings are so different and so dark and just Mm -hmm. real. Yeah. It looks like you, some of them, it looks like you could almost just reach in and like touch one of the people that they're really there. Just they're being very still. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden this just something explodes inside him because of the influence of all these amazing people. Yeah. And there's also the uh, idea that, you have to master the basics before you can break right. the rules. Right. Um, so that's kind of what those first six years were. He would would obsessively paint and draw and work on whatever he was doing, mm-hmm. uh, mastering how to paint. Mm-hmm. And then he got those 10,000 hours and was yeah. like, ha, I'm done go now. <laughs> that's literally that's what he said. That's how it happened in my head. <laughs> His roommate was just hanging out, taking a nap, and all of a sudden he goes, ha! I'm Van Gogh now. And he woke up. He's like, what? Yes. And nothing. I just become Van Gogh. <laughs> You'll hear about me. Oh. Weeby. <laughs> I imagine. Anywho. 
he actually said the I imagine too. It yes. was weird. He was awkward. Yeah. It was the inspiration for the song Imagine. Um, imagine Van Gogh's not French. Yeah. Well, because he's original. from the Netherlands. Yeah. yeah so. Uh, do, 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 do. <laughs> uh, that was a big sidetrack. <laughs> uh, that will. We've never done a podcast together before. What? It's kind of what I do. Eh. Well, great. <laughs> uh, so bringing the ship back in. <laughs> Or at least attempt to. All right, Fire Marshal Bill. (laughs) I'm trying to get us back on track. In 1888, he moved to Provence in the south of France, so back away from Paris and away from Theo, um, because he had this dream of making this chateau Mm -hmm. hotel type thing where artists can come and they would all work together yeah. and collaborate and make great beautiful art but nobody wanted to go because they didn't know who he was <laughs> ah, try inviting people to a hippie commune these days it's not easy well if you go to Asheville well that's true yeah that's very true uh <laughs> so yeah is this the yellow house or have we not gotten ha- to the yellow house I yet? haven't heard of it called the yellow house before does that make me a bad lover of Van Gogh yeah Ooh. Hmm. this is but this is where Probably. he roomed with yeah, Gaggin. Yeah, so that's yeah. the yellow you house. You were yeah. ruining my surprise. Oh, I'm sorry. Forget I said anything. Spoilers. Yeah. He did not room with Gaugan. Spoilers are cruel. We, we meant to say he roomed with Gargamel from the yeah. Smurfs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, this is where some of the controversy begins. Okay. Some people think that he invited Gaugan mm-hmm. and Gaugan came. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really get along very well. Yeah. So there's also some people who think that Gauguin was paid by Theo to go live with Van Gogh. Why would Theo do that? So that Van Gogh would have a friend. Because he would isolate himself. Yeah. Van Gogh is But you couldn't have picked a worse person. Well, nobody else was like, (laughs) yeah, I'll go. Everybody else was out of budget. Monet was like... I'm way too good for you. And apparently <laughs> I'm he's <Monet>. now German? <laughs> I'm sorry, Monet. Yeah, I am Monet. <laughs> I like to paint. I like to paint very much. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but this also kind of begins, well, not really begins. Uh, this is the first, this is one of many. <laughs> <laughs> one of many uh not good relationships that Van Gogh is in. Not romantic relationships. Right. Um, just like a, a bad, abusive friendship. And we'll get to this later, but in. the whole, like, when I was a kid, all you, the first thing you hear about Van Gogh is the ear. The ear, yeah. the ear, the ear, the ear, the ear. This and he cut off his ear happening. and sent it to a woman he loves. That's not technically exactly 100% accurate. Actually, we don't know. Good point. There are lots of hypotheses about that. And this is, uh, while he was living with Gauguin, this is where the uh, controversies kind of start. Yeah. So we all know about the altercation with the ear. Yes. I have a little, I didn't bring him with, but I should have. Um, I have a Van Gogh action figure with removable ears. <laughs> Um, because of Both this. of them? Yes. <laughs> you That's can not right. You can choose which one you want to take off, I guess. But yeah, so he and Gauguin were staying in this very small room apparently really getting in each other's space they were completely different as far as their their style of 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 artisting is concerned and Gauguin was a a dickwad yes not good term Gauguin was I think there's I think there's a book written by a very real respected historian out there called Gauguin was a dickwad yeah it's my autobiography (laughs) (laughs) um but so the story that I've always known and Uh I always grew up with Mm mm-hmm was first that Van Gogh was in love with this woman and he cut off his ear and sent it to her. Right, that's what I heard. And then in my art class in uh, high school, we learned that, because we started to learn about Gauguin, Mm -hmm. um, we learned that this woman that Van Gogh was in love with was a prostitute. Yes. And so he fell in love with her and then Gauguin bought her. Okay. And so Van Gogh was like, dude! (laughs) And cut his ear off. I mean, I've even heard something slightly different. I've also heard that him and Gauguin were getting into a fight and there was a razor blade. Yeah. And um, there are so many versions of this story where either he got really upset about it and cut off his ear because he was so upset that he was mad at Gauguin. There's also stories that Gauguin was a skilled swordsman and cut off. 
Okay. The story I heard was basically the story that you just told with one small addition is that he and Galgan were in a fight. And this is an interesting thing to do. I think Van Gogh was probably a lonely, like desperate guy for friends because Mm -hmm. he, uh, I think he couldn't handle the idea of being rejected by someone he considered a friend. So the story I heard, they got in a fight, Galgan left out of just pure distress. And this was actually too, I think, when people really start thinking like, oh, Van Gogh had some serious shit wrong. This Mm -hmm. wasn't just depression anymore. Mm -hmm. At some point, it turned into what some people theorize was uh, 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 temporal lobe epilepsy, Mm. where you have seizures and and you're, you're prone to manic depression but then sometimes you you're getting these spells where you can't tell what's really real or not and out of just pure distress he cut off his ear then found a prostitute on the street gave her the wrapped up ear and said quote guard this object carefully which doesn't sound like something a person in love would say it also doesn't sound like something a stable person would do yeah i don't know because i'm not one but (laughs) (laughs) what what is that so yeah, there, there's yeah. it's it's amazing how many people can have so many different interpretations yeah. of something so graphic yeah. and that everyone knows about. And this is the first of several instances yeah. in Van Gogh's lifetime. And supposedly, that happening. What I also what I heard was he didn't realize he'd even done it. Yeah, he wakes up in the hospital and goes, "What the fuck? What am I doing here?" And they're mm-hmm. like, "You cut your ear off." Yeah, I did what? Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Yeah, absolutely. It's quoted. I did what? He wrote it down in his letter to (laughs) Phil. He said, I did what? I did what? Spelled like that naughty at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's a thing that happened. Yeah. Uh, It's sad that that's, like, the main thing he's known for. When he's made this contribution to culture as a whole. It was like, oh, that's the guy that cut his ear off. Yeah. And I'm always like... This is a beautiful song. <laughs> Give him more credit than that. <laughs> um, and yeah. So after so the ear incident. He was really, he would check himself into mm-hmm. mental wards. Um, he was really in and out. Always, always painting. Mm-hmm. Um, always working. He painted over 600 paintings. Which is in insane. 10 years. That's insane. Yes. Uh, That'd be like Stephen King writing 600 novels in 10 years. Yeah. Um, Somebody did the math and they said if it was consistent, it was like two paintings a week. That's crazy. Yeah. I wonder how many hours he he must have spent in that 10 years. A lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he's in, that's, I know in one of the wards he was in, that's where he did do Starry Night. Yes. Or I think I read... uh, I read that he was looking at the sky through the bars in his cell. I thought that it was in a chapel in St. Paul. You're probably more right than I am. Neither of us know. <laughs> That's okay. We can find it out sometime. Truth. Or you can tell us. Yeah, email be like, us. Y'all are dumb. And we'll be like, thanks for letting us know that. In fact, <laughs> if you title the email Y'all are dumb, we'll know that it's someone sending a correction. Yeah, and we'll give you a shout out. Yes, I don't have the power will. to do it, but I will. As executive podcaster <laughs> in this room, I'm allowing it. Yes. Um, that was weird. Sorry <laughs> about right. that. Okay, yeah. Um, and then we kind of get into the whole what's going on. So, um, we know two facts about his death. Yes. That are cemented in yes. stone. He was shot. Yes. In the abdomen. Yes. Or there was a bullet in his abdomen on July 27th of 1890. Right. We know that he died two days later. Right. On the 29th. Right. Basically, everything else is up in the air. And this was the fascinating thing to me, because I don't think I even knew how Van Gogh died. Yeah. But you tell me, a lot of people said suicide. Yeah. And I was like, well, that makes sense. And then you go, hold the phone a minute. Yeah. Think about that for a second. He shot himself in the abdomen? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, also, so this whole, the widely accepted, widely taught, Van Gogh's death mm-hmm. theory idea. We don't have any proof of any of this, any of it. Right. Um, but uh, 
it's a really highly romanticized mm-hmm. suicide. Um, which, in a way, I think Van Gogh would be kind of cool sense. with. Makes sense. Um, the story that I was always taught, and it's kind of the reason why uh, Wheatfield with Crows is my favorite painting. It's also his last painting okay. he ever did. So what I was told by my art teacher, Sean McLaughlin. who Shout out, Sean. We love you, Mr. M. Well, I don't know you, but... He talked like this. <laughs> and his face was half paralyzed from a stroke he got from boxing. And he told me this story. So imagine it in that voice. I can't sustain <laughs> it for that long. Um, but he told us, slash this was in our books, um, that on this day, Van Gogh packed up all of his art supplies walked out to this field that he had been painting Mm -hmm. beforehand. So this was unusual? He'd been going there every day like that? Yeah. Um, Set up this canvas, painted the wheat field that didn't have crows flying out of it, but he painted what it would look like after he shot himself. What? That's what I was... I grew up with this So he added the crows because they would be trying to get at the body? No, because they're flying out... Oh, I see, I see, I see. So what I was always told and what I thought was like really both beautiful and depressing Mm -hmm. and just like it makes, if I ever saw this painting in real life, I would be sobbing for an hour. Yeah. Where is it now? Do you know? Um, I don't. Is it at the Louvre? It might be in the Louvre or it might be, um, there is a Van Gogh museum in Denmark. Oh, the Netherlands. I'm sorry, Van Gogh, but I don't live anywhere near it, so I don't know for sure. <laughs> We're in Greenville, South Carolina, by the way. Hey! So, <laughs> anywho. Um, it's just this story of, like, this really depressed man going out, knowing he's going to end his life, and trying to capture the exact moment. Yeah. Of when he's going to shoot himself. And, of and what it, it's going to be. Psychologically, too, it, it does make a little bit of sense. Because in the the framework of people who have committed suicide, there is, in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases, there is this very calm, at peace, ritualistic thing that they do. Mm-hmm. They know they're going to do it. They've decided it's going to happen. They're actually pretty content with that. People yep. talked about how Robin Williams was happier than they'd seen him in years right before he took his own life because in his mind, he thought he was doing the right thing. By the way, if you're listening to this and you have those thoughts, you're not doing the right thing. Please don't. But um, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that's what Van Gogh thought as well. However, there's a chance that it wasn't suicide. Yeah. So the first time this came about, so... The facts, gunshot, in the abdomen, took him two days to die. Which already is a weird way to kill yourself. Yeah. Um, but in there's a, a book called Van Gogh, The Life. It came out in 2011 by biographers Stephen Naife. I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> I I'm so it. sorry. It's N-A-I-F-E-H. Oh, yeah. I think you got that exactly right. Naife. And Gregory White Smith. Uh, And this was the first book where the first time the whole, like, okay, hold up. Right. This doesn't make sense. Doesn't jive, yeah. Entirely. That was kind of the first time that that idea had any sort of momentum. Right. Or was ever, you know, printed by these... They had won Pulitzer Prizes. Right. Um, Well-recognized biographers saying, we don't think he killed himself. Right. So there's a whole lot of things that go into this. Um, Going back to Van Gogh staying in these unhealthy relationships Mm -hmm. because he's just happy to be with someone. Right. And not just, like you said, romantic. All his relationships were just sort of this desperate codependent. Yeah. You know. Um, There was an interview that came out. It was in like the 1950s, which is only 70 years. Mm -hmm. Well, no, 60 years after Van Gogh died. And I can't do math. (laughs) That's why I do theater. Uh, an interview came out with a man named René Secretin. Mm. I assume that's how it's pronounced. Oh. I'm very bad at French, so <laughs> oui, sorry oui. to the entire French population. They're not listening. Uh, 
great. <laughs> then it's fine. <laughs> um, he recalled bullying Vincent with his brother Gaston really, really harshly. Wow. Um, they are quoted to have put a snake in his paint box. How crazy is that? Yeah. To have an interview with, was it like a tele, well, it wouldn't have been tele, well, you said 1950? I think. So it could have been televised. Yeah. A guy who knew Vincent Van Gogh mm-hmm. was alive at the same time as, say, my father. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Because uh, it just seems... Like it's so long ago, but 1890 really It's not that, that long, long ago. ago. No. Oh, there's so many times where I'm like, what? That's nuts. Like my grandmother was older than sliced bread. Right. She was born in 1921. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. It's all weird. Slash, I was alive at the same time. As someone who was born in 1921. It's, it's nuts. And 1914. That's all weird. Old Norwegian ladies never die. That's very strange. We live forever. So now what is um, this, what are these guys' proposal for what they think might have happened? Well, I'm getting the answer. Sorry. I'm giving you the background Trying story. to guide. I'm setting the scene. I had, sorry, and scene. Um, so along with these two little bullies putting a snake in his paint box, they also put salt in his coffee Red pepper on his brushes that Van Gogh is Ugh. known for chewing on. Well, they were just assholes. And he would, or they would make out with girls by the river just to make him miserable. Ugh. But Van Gogh continued to hang out with these guys just because they would be near him. Yeah. And that sort of relationship, you know, not great. No. Um, so there's an, a hypothesis, an idea, a theory. Mm-hmm. Uh... That these boys, there's a story that one of them, Renee, got a cowboy outfit. Okay. Complete with a gun. <laughs> yeah. And would run around and be like, look at me now, I'm an American cowboy. <laughs> uh, which is a French Southern impression. Yay. Oh, I nailed it. Uh, I heard it and I went, oh, that's that's what French people who are doing Southern accents, that's exactly what they sound like. Yeah, I'm a dialect coach. You are. <laughs> um... <laughs> And so there are reports of that happening. And there are also reports that, you know, Renee actually had quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. So I say that as if I did. I didn't know that. Go out and drink a lot, and he would pick up the tap. Okay. So, also to add to this whole thing, this is really jumbled. Welcome to my brain. Don't worry about it. Um, when Van Gogh went out to the wheat field, he like people saw him leaving with all of his painting supplies. Mm-hmm. No one found them afterwards. We don't know where they are. Interesting. Um, so there's this idea that he grabbed all of his stuff, went out to paint the wheat fields, painted the wheat fields with the crows in it. Um, wheat fields with crows. Sorry, keep getting the name wrong, even though it's my favorite. <laughs> um, and there's the idea that. Renee was drunk, dressed as a cowboy, came by, and accidentally shot his friend <laughs> uh, in the abdomen. Yeah. Because there, like, weren't burn marks reported right. on his hands. Yeah, and he, yeah. The bullet didn't go all the way through his abdomen. So that meant it, it shot from a distance. We assume, you know, they. it was 1890. They didn't have ballistic right, technology. Right, 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 they right. couldn't Mythbuster shoot into <laughs> the ballistic gel. Now, as in the two days that he had left, yes, did he admit, quote unquote, admit to it being suicide? What he said, um, he went back to the like hotel mm-hmm. thing that mm-hmm. he was staying in this room and um his doctor came who he had had a relationship with a friendship with Mm -hmm. um and he said there was no one to blame maybe it's better this way wow that's vague and he (laughs) uh he did claim to have shot himself right um but when his brother theo Mm -hmm. who he wrote all of those letters to came to him Mm -hmm. And Theo kept asking, what happened? What happened? Like, tell me what's going on. Van Gogh said he wanted to talk about life, not death. Oh, 
So he never clearly said yeah. that he killed himself. He could have been, because he was so lonely and because he was so desperate for friends, mm-hmm. if this guy accidentally shot him, he could have said, you know what, I'm going to die anyway. I'm not going to let you get in trouble for this because yeah. you're my pal. And there is also the potential that he would have done it eventually. Right. And so if Renee was the one who shot him, then maybe he was like, well, this is fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool. fine with this. I'm going to go to the stars. And that's cool and poetic. I'm, co- I'm cool with it. Um, There's also a lot of talks. So I mentioned this before we started filming the podcast. Mm-hmm. There is a movie that came out within the last year. Yes. Called Loving Vincent. It is beautiful. Every single frame is hand-painted in oil paints. See it, buy it, support those artists. Holy cow. And it's all about this. And it's, you know, uh, more clear than me being like, and then this might have happened. I mean, look, if I'd, never, if I'd never heard of this at all, I would know what was going on from yeah. the way you told the story. Uh-huh. So don't beat yourself up. Uh-huh. I'm pushing up <laughs> my glasses, which you can't see because this did is it. a and even though there aren't actually any glasses on your face, you still did it in a really weird, unnatural way. That is <laughs> Never how seen I anyone. push up my glasses. Is it? Well, I only do one finger. Okay, because what I saw was two fingers, like one after the other, yeah, that pushing your nose. Yeah, trying to be cool, okay? <laughs> There's no room for cool in this apartment. Look around. Oh. It's that, not a cool place. That sounded like... I mean, there's a lot of Star Wars stuff up. So that is pretty true. high in my book. Once we get done recording, I can show you my Yoda. Yeah. Boy, that didn't sound right. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to leave No, now. I've got an interactive Just Yoda. Just kidding, y'all. <clears throat> um, but yeah, uh, this movie, this film mm. is beautiful. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out. It's amazing. It's available on Hulu And right it now. is about specifically Van Gogh's death. Well, it's, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, this man who is supposed to deliver this final letter. Oh, my there gosh, There he Kat! is. There he is. Hi. Kitty, 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 kitty. Oh, so cute. Isn't he adorable? Uh, <laughs> it's about this guy, um, Van Gogh's postman's son, mm-hmm. um, who is trying to deliver... Vincent's last letter to Theo. Oh. Um, but Theo has also died by this time. Because right. Theo died shortly after Van Gogh. How did Theo die? After Vincent did. Um, he was in late stages of syphilis, wow. I believe. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, and also part of the reason why he was like, or why Van Gogh, Vincent, they're both Van Goghs, Vincent mm-hmm. and Theo. <laughs> That's true. Um. One of the reasons why Vincent might have been like, okay, this is, I guess this is fine about him dying mm-hmm. is uh, his doctor at one point, they had gotten into a big argument mm-hmm. and um, this is played very beautifully in the movie. Yeah. Loving Vincent. I'm going to just keep saying it. <laughs> loving Vincent, loving Vincent, loving Vincent. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that was weird. Sorry. Uh, this is where we'll probably put the commercial break. <laughs> Use the awkward pause constructively. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Evan. Hey, Jason Underwood. And if you're enjoying listening to the Lucky 10,000, then come on over to a podcast where nobody's ever getting lucky, ever. Here on the Lucky 10,000, you're here to learn, but with the bearded ones, we're here to make you laugh. And and maybe you'll learn something while you're laughing. Yeah, learn something like about Batman. <laughs> I mean, for we were on a stint of Matlock for a while. I, it was funny to me. Not the, hey, I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's not how you sell it. Come anything. on over, listen to the one podcast, I guess. I yeah, mean, I, I like it. I'd be a shit salesman. <laughs> um, Come buy this car. I mean, I drove it once. You, yeah, probably, you probably wouldn't like yeah, it. You don't want to, <laughs> you yeah, you don't want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what? Fuck this. Don't listen to Bearded Ones. <laughs> Come on, check us out. Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast on the Bearded Pods Network. I knew that. I didn't know that. Well, that's why we're here, listening to the Lucky 10,000. You learn something new with every episode. And while you're here at the Bearded Pods Network, you might want to come and give us some pod love. We're Teddy and the Bassman. We cover all sorts of subjects, speak with tons of interesting guests, and entertain you with a melange of vintage commercials and jingles, and a whole plethora of eclectic music. You might even learn something from us as well. It'll probably be about bondage, but... Teddy and the Bassman!
Anywho, um, he said, this is a quote from the movie, um, a, a paraphrase from mm-hmm. the movie. He says, it's something that I never should have said to him as a patient. Wow. Because they were also still friends. Yeah. But he was really upset because he was also a painter. Yeah. And Vincent was very upset with him. And he said he wasn't a very good painter, essentially. Ooh, burn. And so this doctor, whose name escapes me because it's very French and begins with the G, <laughs> um, he basically told Vincent, like, think about the toll your life is taking on your brother. Oh, Your brother's man. very sick. And he's supporting you financially. Oh, man. Imagine what that stress He said that to a dying to man. Not to a dying man. Oh, okay, this was good. before he shot oh, Okay, good. But, um, or was shot. We don't know. Yeah. Um, and this was like several weeks before okay. his death. Boy, that's a that's a rough thing to say, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And um, so there are hypotheses that that was like, Oh, maybe that's why he was like, this is fine. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm not causing my brother pain anymore. Yeah. And he didn't want to tell his brother when his brother came to see. Yeah. That's the thing about stuff like this. There's so many. Yeah. Every, this is the, every unsolved mystery ever mm-hmm. has this thing where you're going down this road and you think this is the only way that we're going to get to that destination, which is solving this thing. And then something will happen that creates this whole other fork. Yep. And you just go, damn it, I was so sure that this road was the way. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I go back to the Zodiac. When I saw the Zodiac movie and read the Zodiac books, I'm like, there's no way it can't be the guy that's being accused of this. But that's because you're not getting all the information. Yep. And then when you get all the information, you go, I don't think there's any way it can be that guy. So mm-hmm. you're always doing this dance in your brain, which is why it's so captivating to think about. Yeah. Because everything he has said makes sense, perfect, logical sense in both scenarios. Mm-hmm. So it legit could be that for some weird reason he decided to shoot himself in the oddest way possible. Yeah. The most painful, prolonged way possible. Mm-hmm. But it is also well within reason to believe that a friend could have done something awful to him and he yeah. just wanted to cover for the guy. And there's also the potential, like, maybe it was just a botched suicide attempt. Right. Maybe he dropped the gun. Right. Um, And then maybe he immediately regretted it, which is why he didn't just shoot himself again. Right. Or yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. He, you would think yeah. that if he really wanted to finish the job, mm-hmm. just I'm sure he had at least one more bullet in that gun. Yeah, or maybe he wanted the chance to see his brother again. Maybe. Um, all it's something that we'll just never know. It happened 128 years ago, and three weeks. That's a Fitbit. It's a watch <laughs> <I'm kidding>. too. <laughs> it's got the date on it. <laughs> I had to do some math. That's so crazy. Well, do you want your brain hurt? My brain hurts, by the way, from all this. Do you want your brain to hurt some more? Yeah. Because uh, as I was saying earlier, uh, my daughter did a little bit of studying on Edgar Allan Poe, who I am. I know a little bit more about than Van Gogh. I'm a fan of his work. Yeah. Um, He was the first. I think he was my telltale heart. Love that one. Fall of the House of Usher is the one that sticks with me mm-hmm. because when I was a kid, I had these books and I've been a horror movie fan for years, mm-hmm. but I think this is where it started yeah. because I was kind of a wuss as a kid. Everything scared me as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then somebody gave me this little book. I'll never forget it. It was this little, very small, square, but thick book where mm-hmm. they had taken all these classic stories like Moby Dick and the Count of Monte Cristo, things yeah. like that, and really like edited them down. And so it would be a page with text and then a page with a very artfully done picture illustrating what's going on in the text. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene in the description of the fall of the house of Usher when Usher's sister is just running through the house, Mm -hmm. just insane in this white gown, just babbling and singing and all this other stuff. And the picture in that book scared the, I read it on a Saturday afternoon in my room. Sun beaming through the window scared the living shit out of me. A, because I didn't understand that she wasn't dead yet. But B, just that image. It was Mm -hmm. this like ghostly thing and the brothers, you know, burying his face in his hands. And then the idea that she was buried alive and clawed her way out. It's just the darkest shit. So that attracted me to Poe instantly. Mm -hmm. I haven't read all of his work. I'm a Fairweather fan. I know. I have a hard time reading. I just butchered like... (laughs) My favorite human to ever live's 
death story. So sorry, Van Gogh. I love you. Well, and I, but I didn't know this until yeah. my daughter got back from this trip that they taught her about Poe's death, and it's weird. Yeah. How do you know much about it? Uh, no, but I hope ravens are involved. <laughs> that would be awesome, wouldn't it? If raven yeah. just carried his body up into the yeah. sky, yeah, or one just coughs and then yeah. <laughs> Single raven. But it actually said, nevermore. That would be weird. Yeah, it goes, nevermore! And then that somebody goes, get really out of here. Good raven that was a very good raven. That was a very good raven. Thank you. Thank that was a very good raven. I bet, I bet you could do a good raven from Teen Titans. Oh, speaking of which. Tara Strong. Uh, so, just brief, real brief uh, a bio. He was born um, January 19th, 1889 in Boston, Mass. Uh, his father abandoned his family. His mother died. Uh, I didn't know this. He was adopted by the Allen family. That's where Allen and his name comes from. Oh, yeah, very I interesting. I assumed it was a middle name. Yeah, I, I, he just, he just usurped it kind of because of the family that it was raising. To Tim Allen. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> when he wrote his first successful poem, he finished it by just alone in his apartment. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, and then he also left transcripts for the Santa Claus. True, movie. very true. <laughs> That's what yeah, no one. Actually, that, would, that wouldn't surprise me yeah. because the first Santa Claus movie is actually really dark if you think about it. He's a real fact. Santa breaks his neck. Um, also, I always hated those movies as a kid because I used to tell people, you spell my last name, it's like Santa Claus with O-N at the end. <laughs> and people were like, C-L-A-U-S-E-O-N? And I was like, no, that's Claus as in the literary thing. <laughs> calm down. Calm down. Dig Tim Allen. Put down the cat. Don't hurt the cat. <laughs> Uh, well, let's see. So in, in 1826, he enrolled in a uh, college in Virginia to study language. He dropped out a year later. This is, this, his life is eerily in some cases similar to yeah. Van Gogh as well. I think both of them had trouble staying in school. Yeah. Neither of them liked it, but they were both such intelligent guys mm -hmm. that they succeeded. They were too smart for school. The, absolutely. You know, you always hear about those people that do so poorly in school because they're bored. Yeah. Their their minds simply aren't, aren't stimulated. Mm -hmm. I was one of those. <clears throat> anyway, I'm kidding. I'm, I just am dumb. Uh, so he, <laughs> uh, he joined the military. Uh, he published Tamerlane and other poems. That was his first official publication. Mm -hmm. um, his adopted father made him attend West Point, but he dropped out of West Point, so his adopted father <laughs> disowned him. Oh. He was like, look, man. If you wanna, if you wanna stay here, if you wanna hang out, if you wanna be close, great. Finish school. Yeah. Do it at West Point. He couldn't do it. So um, everyone knows about his marriage to his cousin. He moved to Baltimore after this. I didn't know. That. You didn't know? I, yeah. I don't know very much about Edgar Allan Poe. His wife. Well, this is where we get real scandalous. Her name was Virginia Clem, and she was one of his cousins. He met in Baltimore, also half his age. Um, oh. He he again like Van Gogh. It wasn't that he, you know, people think about this pauper thing, about these people who are just, just, just wrecks of human beings and just, they live on nothing. Yeah, Van Gogh was never a wealthy man, mm -hmm. but he did have some successes. There were people towards the end of his life that bought a couple of paintings. I did forget to, uh, I wrote this down, but I didn't say it. Oh, where did I put it? He sold one painting. Yes. Um, called The Red Vineyard. Yeah. And that's it. So I think it's, it's romantic to think about these guys having completely awful, miserable lives from beginning to end. Yeah. But Poe did okay for himself. Mm -hmm. He didn't make a good living. You're not nearly as famous. No, 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 no. Right, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, but he did make a living. He also became a critic and was oh. savage. Everybody's a critic. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was <laughs> savage. I bet. People ended up hating him because Ooh. of how just vicious he was he would and have that hated will, hamilton yeah yeah he would have <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway um we get to you know he, he does become uh, uh an author uh, uh his wife uh dies of tuberculosis yeah, uh he had a woman uh on the side didn't she also die of tuberculosis I didn't have that that she died but it doesn't surprise me everything this guy touched I, everyone dies uh, well, I it was also very common. <laughs> at some point, we like were kind of learning about Edgar Allan Poe, and there was a joke that like everything he touched turned to tuberculosis because mm -hmm. a bunch of people died of tuberculosis in his life. So that might be totally wrong. Or I mean, I, I think a lot of people did die from tuberculosis in his life. His wife yeah. was the one that really destroyed him. Even though I don't know if she was a mistress or whatever, but he had 
what people think was a girlfriend who was actually very good friends with his wife. Oh. So I think they might have been okay with it. They might have had something going just, on. Like, I don't know. Really early on this whole polygamy thing. Uh, maybe. Well, you know, like I mean, back. look, people yeah, cheated all the time yeah. throughout history. They just didn't have a word for it yeah. if their spouse knew and didn't give a shit. Yeah. So oh, yeah. maybe that's what the case was. But he, then he had another woman who was obsessed with him, who he didn't have any attraction to at all. In fact, his wife blamed the third woman, just like fucking the doctor blamed uh, 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 Van Gogh for his brother's health problems. Oh. The wife actually called the third woman out because she was so obsessed with Poe, she wouldn't leave him alone. Constantly oh. writing him letters, and he was just sending them back going, get the fuck out of my life. So, in September of 1849, he was supposed to go to Philadelphia to start an editing job. That was uh, September 27th. On October 3rd, he was found in Baltimore in a ditch wearing someone else's clothes. Wow. And took about three to four days after that to die. Okay, and I'm going to call it right now alcohol poisoning. <laughs> Possibly. He went to a crazy party, well, got really drunk. <laughs> Here's the part of the story close. that I did not know. It was a great time. He, so he The ditch that he was in yeah. was next to a polling place, a polling station. What? Oh. Like I voting. Was, I was like, what? <laughs> get your polls. It's, get your polls right here. Yeah. There's a poll. Like, I don't know why I'm doing an English accent when it's... When it's Philadelphia, or well, excuse me, Baltimore. You never know. <laughs> it's you true. Know. I'm visiting from England. I have a pole. There's a pole, there's a pole, there's a pole. So, um, <laughs> what the, the big prevailing theory about this is yeah. there was a, a, something going on at the time called cooping, where you would go vote. Cooping and polling. Yeah, cooping and polling. Yeah. It's, it's a very short lived buddy cop drama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so when people would go vote, they would come out and the people that were cooping, quote unquote, would find them and go, look, we're going to take you. We're going to change your clothes. You'll come back and vote for our guy. And then we'll just keep doing that over and over again. And the more you do it, the more alcohol we'll give you. That's the deal. Oh. So there's a theory that he was involved in this cooping. That and he just, got too lit while he voting. He got too lit while voting. The most American <laughs> thing you could do. Well, except for the voting part. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know. Vote. 30% of the population of America actually votes. They do drink, though. Dear everyone, vote. <laughs> I think, I'm sure there are more people that drink regularly than vote regularly. Probably, but that should change. It is your civic duty. But either way, no one knows for sure. And when they, in his, he, he wasn't conscious enough over the, his last few days to actually say what happened. When they examined him, they found things in his blood, like I think arsenic oh. at one point, maybe mercury, just all lace. kinds of weird shit. And old lace. <laughs> there was old lace all throughout one of his major arteries. Whoa. Yeah. Turned out he ate an old lady. <laughs> but um so yeah that's to me just as mysterious yeah as van gogh because both these guys are depressed both these guys are renowned for how they were able to sort of tap into the darkness in life although to be fair van gogh's paintings he did such a good job of showing all yeah. parts of life yeah because a lot of his paintings are filled with joy oh uh there's um if you want to know like how i really feel about van gogh you gotta go to that doctor who episode mm. with van gogh and listen to that museum curator talk about van gogh that's everything that i feel about him it makes me cry like a little baby every time you know I watch what? we'll that put a scene. link i'm sure it's on youtube somewhere we'll yeah, put a link it totally to it is. do it and watch so it. uh the last thing i want to say about van gogh though one of the yes. guys that had had the, I mean, not Van Gogh, but Poe, ah. one of the guys that had had the most vicious opinion of Poe yeah. was a guy named Rufus Griswold, who uh, did not like him as he a human like being an at all. He enemy of the wizarding world. <laughs> he does. Or, or one of the siblings from one of the vacation movies. Either way. Yeah. Um, and he wrote kind of an obituary for Poe. And one of the quotes, few will be grieved that's dropping the mic right there, bitches. I don't know. I, that theme song took a weird turn. <laughs> well, speaking of taking a weird turn, yeah. I appreciate the fact that you brought this weird turn to the show. It's yeah. absolutely fascinating. I love this conversation. I love learning about shit, especially mm -hmm. when it's, 
you you always think you know enough and then somebody says like uh, uh, Carter Allen has done an episode this yeah. season about something that I'd never heard of and mm-hmm. it's one of the most fascinating creepiest unexplained things I've ever heard of so I love 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 the way things are going in that people yeah. are teaching me things mm-hmm. I would have never found this on my own oh ever. yeah it's awesome and I hope that you're just like interested about it from what I said and then go do your own research and like watch that movie or read some books, read some of his letters to his brother because they're going to give you so much more interesting things. Yes. But if I've inspired you to learn about Van Gogh, my work is done here. He's amazing. The the, the silver lining to a case like this yes. is you can work backwards and learn about the man. Mm-hmm. Because let's just say you don't give two shits about art. You've never cared about art. Then somebody comes along to you and says, hey, Van Gogh might have committed suicide, but he might not have. Here are the deets. And you go, well, that's really fascinating. And then you start to learn about the man, which takes you to his art. Yeah. Again, we're not supporting the notion of shooting anyone accidentally or harming yourself in any way, shape, or form. But in this case, it's a good backwards way. Take the tragedy, turn it into something positive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just with Van Gogh and Poe, I wonder how they would feel now if they knew how revered they were. Yeah. I don't necessarily believe in an afterlife, but I would love to think that if there is one. Go that, watch that Doctor Who episode. Yeah, I'm not a Whovian, so I'll have to check oh, it out. Oh, you gotta watch it. It's, I mean, I love sci-fi. Okay, so the premise of it, there's an episode with Van Gogh, and he's hella depressed. Because he was. Because he was, yeah. And then the Doctor and Amy Pond bring him back to the Van Gogh Museum. So he can see. And he talks to this museum curator and the museum curator talks about how he thinks Van Gogh is the best painter. Now how did the episode play how that made him feel? Um, He was excited and like he was like sobbing of happy emotion and then but it didn't change anything. Of course not. That's the problem with depression because you get what you want and then depression tells you you still suck. Yeah, yeah, um, but like it's just it's really beautiful. Watch that clip. I will have to check it out. And also that movie. I love when sci-fi is used to mm-hmm. do more than just entertain. I love when sci-fi is used to say something. Yeah. And to you know, I uh, I was talking on the first episode actually Ooh. of the second season of the Lucky Ten Thousand. The first episode I did with Emily Grove. Uh, and she knows nothing about comics or anything like that. I think it was the first episode. Either way, I started telling her the plot to Flashpoint, if you've ever heard of Flashpoint. It was one of the bigger Flash storylines of the DC universe. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's a beautiful story. I'm a Marvel person, sorry. I typically am too, but Flashpoint, especially the animated movie version of it on Netflix, is really good and well worth your time. And what basically ends up happening is he goes back to save his mother, changes the timeline in the present. When he comes back, Batman's no longer Batman. Batman's dad is now Batman because Batman, Bruce Wayne, was the one that was killed in this alternate timeline. So when he starts to fix everything, yeah. And if you guys listen to the show, you've heard this before, but there's a point. He goes back to Batman, Father Batman, mm-hmm. and he goes, look, none of this is right. In my timeline, in the correct timeline, you're dead, but your son is Batman. Yeah. So Dad Batman goes, okay, I want you to do something for me when you get back and when you correct everything. And he writes this letter down mm-hmm. and he hands it to him. So great. Flash goes off, big fight, whatever, gets everything back to the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Goes to Bruce Wayne Batman and goes, hey. Here's what happened. I fucked up. Create this alternate timeline. I talked to your dad, and he gave me this letter to give to you. Mm-hmm. And so Batman opens it up, and the letter is just his dad telling him that he's proud of him. <laughs> I know. And this one, like, single tear starts to come down out of the cowl. And Batman's just like, thank you. And that's all he could say. And uh, Not even... I'm Batman. I'm Batman, yeah. Well, he did say that, of course, because that's what he always says. He starts and ends sentences like that. But I love that example because, of course, things seem silly on the surface. Of course, these guys running around in costumes fighting each other is silly. But when it's used to say something poignant, Mm -hmm. and I just imagine that a lot of Van Gogh fans got a lot of almost closure seeing that moment where Van Gogh gets to be told, you're like the most celebrated artist ever. Yeah. Everyone loves your work. I know several people who, I am one of them, it's like always circulating through Facebook and stuff, and every time you see it, it's an instant share. Yeah. You watch it every time. 
I watch that video rather frequently just because I love him so much. Um, well, I love the fact that you're passionate about it. I yeah. love the fact that you brought that passion to this podcast. Yeah, and that's so why this, again, no offense, Emily and Carissa, you're both in this season anyway, so fuck it. But um, <laughs> I love the seasons I did with you guys, but this so far might go down as my favorite one that mm-hmm. I've done. Because I get to see with these with all these people that I either know really well or I'm still getting to know, I get to see what they're passionate about. Yeah. And that's an awesome, awesome thing. Yeah. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you, Claire, how would they do that? Uh, email. Pretty simple. Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E dot Clausen, C-L-A-U-S-O-N. At- Is it S-E-O-N? No. <laughs> Tim Allen! <laughs> <laughs> No, Clausen, C-L-A-U-S-O-N, at gmail.com. Do you so, have a Facebook or a Twitter or anything like that? I do. On Facebook, I'm Claire Bear Clausen. Um, I think both Twitter and Instagram are Claire Bear 417 Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. I'm so glad we got the chance to do yeah, this. I'm so too. glad you're not sick anymore. Yes. And uh, I think that's everything. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you give us a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes, we'll read it on the air. The best thing you can do for us, though, is word of mouth. If you like this show, if you know other people that you think would like this show, please tell them about us. I hope you have enjoyed the show, and I hope you got lucky tonight. Oh. <laughs> thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your host, Evan. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.